Welcome. We are on part three of our series on the return of Jesus. I hope you've been enjoying it so far. (laughs) I want to talk to you tonight about the Antichrist and the harlot Babylon. (laughs) Still excited? (laughs) I hope so. Um, But before I go into that, I just want to make um, a couple of clarifications just from things that we've discussed already. Um, first of all, I've not read every commentary on the book of Revelation. There are way too many out there, but thank you, Tracy, because uh, I have been in this book and I have poured my heart and opened my heart and torn my heart over this book and um, have asked the Lord for revelation. And, and I encourage each of you to do the same because the Lord says, eat the scroll. Um, it, it it tastes good. It sounds exciting. It has a bitterness to it. <laughs> so the angel told John, but it will prepare this generation to receive our king. Um, so last week we went over the book of Revelation, and uh, there there um, should be notes online with the outline of Revelation. If you go to uh, storehousedallas.com and go to resources. So we had a, a, a great outline that, that Mike Bickle has put together. I highly encourage you to print that out. If you didn't get a copy last week, go online, print it out, stick it, net, stick it inside of your Bible so when you read Revelation that you are kind of got a little roadmap to go with you. Um, but um, a particular comment I made last week that was, I'm sure, misleading is that um, I was going over the seven symbols of Revelation and, ta- or, and talking about the seven heads. Do we remember how many heads? How many horns? Very good. <laughs> seven heads are seven historic empires. Now, I kind of shot out a statement that said most scholars believe it's this, 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 and this. That's actually not accurate, and that, I, that's not what I meant to say should have said. Um, I hold to what is called a, a premillennial view of the end times. Can you say that word with me, premillennial? One more time, pre-millennial, very good. There are also post-millennial, amillennial. Pre-millennial, basically, it just means Jesus is coming back before a 1,000-year reign on the earth, which we're going to talk about next week, okay? Pre-millennial, Jesus comes back before that 1,000-year reign. Post-millennial believes he's coming back after that 1,000 years. Amillennial just believes it's not an, an actual literal 1,000 years, that it, it, is, it is not a specific period of time. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more detail, all those. I'm just trying to give you an overview. But within a premillennial view, I hold to a post-tribulation rapture. Say post-tribulation. <laughs> In essence, I am saying to you that I believe that Jesus will come back before the millennium, but after the big trouble, okay? And that Christians will be here, that the rapture will occur after the big trouble. That is the view that I hold to, a premillennial, post-tribulational view. And there's, those are main views, and there's a lot of sub-things within there. It, it gets kind of hairy sometimes. But I'm trying to make this and break it down to where it's not so hairy. Um, and I hope this has been helpful. <laughs> um, but um, most scholars do not, do not agree with me. <laughs> but many, within a premillennial view, particularly within a premillennial, pre-tribulational 
rapture review, those nations and those seven empires, it's a common view that they represent Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Rome. Um, um, I, I forgot Greece, I'm sorry, Greece, then Rome, and then a revived Roman Empire. So that's a, that's, that would have been a more accurate statement. Um, I also want to say, too, that people that don't hold my view have really gone through the scriptures and combed through and, and have come to those conclusions based on their understanding and interpretation of the scriptures. So I want to honor the, those that hold a different view than me. It may be one of you in this room. It may be someone you know. It may be a pastor at a church you used to go to or that your friend goes to. And, and, and I want to just, and I say this because I want to just be totally clean in my heart and our hearts of any type of elitism, any type of dishonor towards our brothers and sisters that hold to a different view and a different opinion. So, um, so I honor these men and these women for what they have come, the conclusions they've come to. I disagree, and, and there are some points that I strongly disagree on, as they do me. But we want to honor them. We want to pray for them. They're our brothers, and I hope they pray for me. <laughs> I need revelation on revelation. You need revelation on revelation. So let's ask for that right now. Father of glory, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We ask that you would reveal Jesus to us tonight, that you would reveal this end-time plan he has to set up his kingdom on earth forever and the part we are to play in it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, also I want to make a little plug before we get into the material is I am starting this exciting new event called Revelation Fridays. <laughs> and I really hope that you'll take part. Revelation Friday starts tomorrow, which is Friday, and we're going to go through until the month of April. So it's about 10, 12 weeks, whenever April, that first Friday in April is. So what I'm inviting you to join me in on Revelation Fridays is to take every Friday, every week, through the month of April, and read through the book of Revelation. Cover to cover. It'll take you about an hour and a half, two hours. You can get it on audio Bible. You can, some of you have to work, put it on the audio, plug it in, listen to half of it on the way to work, listen to the other half on the way back, and, or a third of it there, a third of it there, and a third after you get your kids down for bed, you know? <laughs> Be creative if, you're, if you've got a full-time job, a spouse, and lots of kids. Be creative, but, but I want to encourage you to, to, to do that. Um, and, and if you just absolutely, you can't do Fridays, like, well, I can do Saturday, please jump on. But I just like the sound of Revelation Fridays, so that's what we're going to call it, no matter what day you do it on. <laughs> so, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Revelation Fridays, <laughs> you were not made for it, it was made for you. Um, so, but join me on it. So, in addition, though, until to, to reading cover to cover, um, I will be starting um, uploading some videos, some five to ten minute videos each week to go more in, in depth on the book, which you can only do so much in five to ten minutes. But every single week up through April, that's going to be kind of cool, huh? So I'm excited. <laughs> um, 
And so I'm not the most technical savvy, so I'll be recording those Friday. I hope that they get up that time because sometimes I'm uploading a video. I'm like, why is this taking hours when it's supposed to take 10 minutes? Um, so <laughs> might start a little rough at, at first, but we're going to get it up. We're going to get it going. Um, and uh, so, but as you read it through cover to cover over and over again, that that kind of veil of ah! is going to start to lift off. And you continue to pray and ask God for revelation. And throughout the week, if some questions arise, you might be listening to it on audio or, or listening to one of my teachings or, or just reading through it. Jot down some questions while listening to it. Don't stop. Just jot down. And then throughout the week, start looking those things up in Scripture. And, and actually, you can even email me questions. Um, and so we're, we're going to – I can't respond to each of you by email, but we're going to figure out a way to where – can kind of blog these things and just get some question and answer um, discussion going on in, in some form or fashion. But write down your answers. Look them up yourself. But if you're still a little stumped, you want some insight, I might not even, even give you the answer. I might just say, check out this passage or read this guy <laughs> and let me know what you think then. Um, is there So Revelation Fridays, every Friday, starting tomorrow through April, Revelation cover to cover. Is there, is there just anyone in that you don't have to commit right now, but is there someone already that has said, yes, I really, I really want to go after that? Okay. Veronica, do you have one of these? Okay. I saw your hand shoot up. <laughs> That's a Mike Bickle Revelation study guide. It's very helpful. So I hope that will help you. So if you have question and answer, send them to Veronica because she's going to have some other <laughs> inside information. <laughs> Great resource. I really do think it's the best resource available to get a good roadmap. And uh, you can order it online as well. Um, so, okay, let's go in. <sighs> Book of Revelation. The Antichrist in the Harlot Babylon. I'll be spending a majority of the time on the harlot Babylon, by the way. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to go ahead and read it. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. Paul is writing and says, Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day, referring to the day of the Lord, Jesus is coming, will not come unless... The falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed. Paul, in this one verse, gives us two key signs that have to happen before the Lord returns. And an issue he was dealing with in the church in Thessalonica was that some people, some folks were going around telling people that Jesus had already come back. <laughs> And he's saying, no, 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 no. This day is not going to come unless these two things happen first. The falling away and the man of sin being revealed. We talked in Matthew 24, four major places to watch and a number of signs that fall into each one of those different places. But Paul here is giving us two key signs to watch for. Before the Lord returns. The man of sin. 
Now, there are some lengthy passages on both of these topics, and so I'm just going to shout them out. So I would encourage you to write them down because we're not going to have time to go through everything. Um, But if you want to kind of check what I'm saying, (laughs) you can turn to 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation 13 for now, and we'll start there. So the man of sin is an antichrist. He is a literal man that will rise up on the scene and he will deceive many nations. He will have influence all across the world. And Jesus said that signs and wonders will be happening from the enemy to such a level that if possible, even the elect might be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. The Antichrist is coming with power, signs, and wonders that will deceive many. Adolf Hitler could speak in front of 100,000 people. No sign, no wonder. And millions were killed at his command. Friends, there is an antichrist and his friend, the false prophet, that's going to come down and call down fire from heaven. Do not be deceived. Let's, let's actually look at a little bit. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. That's First Thessalonians. Chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. This man will be entrusted and given the authority and the power of Satan himself. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the, tr- love of the truth that they may not be saved that they might be saved they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved and for this reason god will send strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness not only is Satan empowering, fully empowering a man, entrusting him with all his power and his authority to deceive many nations, God himself is going to send strong delusion across the earth so that they will believe this man and enter into his same condemnation in the lake of fire. Why would God do that? Why would God help people get deceived? Verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 10. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. And verse 12. 
They did not believe the love of the truth, but took pleasure in unrighteousness. Friends, when we consciously reject the truth, and when we consciously, unrepentantly take pleasure in unrighteousness, your mind becomes a breeding ground for deception. Now, God is merciful, and he sees willing hearts of people that are struggling through sin. And there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Stay in Christ Jesus. Because outside is deception and condemnation. Friends, there is such powerful preaching that comes when we talk about the mercy and grace of God. And I, I pray that, that from this particular church, this house of prayer, that the grace of God is preached so radically that people just come from all over running to Jesus. And all you dark people that go out, go hard with the grace of God. Because <laughs> you know? the kindness of God leads men to repentance. Yet I want to be clear that people that consistently reject the truth and take pleasure in unrighteousness will be handed over to strong delusion. Get rid of anything that's not true. Get rid of anything that's not in alignment with who God's made you to be, how God's designed you, and the purpose and destiny he's created you for. Get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. Loving the truth is more than agreeing with it. It will require us standing for it despite the cost. Revelation 13 also gives us quite a bit of insight about this man, the Antichrist. It calls him the beast. We talked a bit about him last week. That he will murder the saints. He will gain the worship of the nations. And that he will be in power for a specific period of time. It says that there is a three and a half year period that the Antichrist will be raging against the earth. The book of Revelation refers to that time period in three different ways. 42 months, 1,260 days, and then also time, times, and half a time. Time, times, and half a time. Um, and on a Jewish calendar year, 360, for those of you that are really smart with math, and you say 1260 is not exactly three years. <laughs> yes, it is, on a Jewish calendar. Um, there will be a three-and-a-half-year period of his reign. And this is actually really good news to us. Because it's going to be so intense that we're going to need to know that his clock is ticking. His time is short. And he may rage against the saints. 
But this calls for patience and endurance on the part of the saints. Revelation 13 talks about this beast receiving a fatal wound but reviving. There are a couple of different ways you can apply this, but I believe that he will actually apparently die and then come back to life as a sort of false resurrection. And when this fatal wound is healed, Revelation 13 says, people all across the earth will start saying, who is like the beast? And who can make war with him? His revival will astound the nations and will lead many into Satan worship. Do not be deceived. He will be accompanied by a man named the false prophet. He's also called another beast in the book of Revelation. And he will lead many to worship the Antichrist. And he will actually form an image, a statue of the beast, and he will be given authority to breathe life into this inanimate object. And it will have power to speak, and it will have power to kill anyone who does not worship the beast. And he will institute a mark. Now, the mark of the beast is something that piques a lot of interest of a lot of people. And every time I've taught on this, I just wait for the question. <laughs> and it's a good question. So I'll try to answer a bit of it now. If you have more questions, that's totally okay. But um, some, some try to go in and say, well, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's, your, it's this little chip. It's your Kroger Plus card. It's a thing on the back of your neck. Now, this mark, here's what we know about it, from this, just from the text. The physical features of this mark, it says it will be a mark on the hand and on the forehead. Is it in the skin, on the skin, under the skin? I don't know. But it's a mark. <laughs> and it's going to go on the hand, it's going to go on and or the forehead. It will have... Economic, economic features to it. No one can buy or sell without this mark. And friends, we need to think about this economic feature of it in the context of those seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments that we talked about last week. I'm not talking about a context where we're living right now where you can go down to Walmart or Tom Thumb and get as much bread and meat, as you could possibly imagine. I'm talking about a time when there will be so much famine across the earth and so much natural disasters and terrorist attacks and warfare and bloodshed that food is going to be quite hard to come by in many places on the earth. Now, I do believe God will set up these places where there is abundance where there is provision. And that these centers will be places where multitudes are able to take refuge 
and start receiving the gospel. But in many, many places across the earth, food and water will be very difficult to come by. So the economic appeal of this mark will be very, very strong. It has spiritual features to it. Now, these actually connect much more with the image of the beast. But I believe that they connect very much with the mark of the beast as well. That this mark is not just a signification or a a signifying of being able to eat and drink. It is a symbol of, of devotion to Satan worship. Because whoever does not worship the beast gets killed. And whoever does not take the mark of the beast is doomed to die of starvation. Except for a breaking in of the Holy Spirit with miracles. There will be consequential features with this mark. To those who do not take it, they will not be able to buy or sell. To those who do take it, they will go to the lake of fire. Revelation 14. So this is a pretty serious mark, friends. And so this isn't something that's going to appear on your hand one day accidentally. (laughs) It will be very clear what this mark is about, what this mark is for, and we've got to have wisdom. And we've got to have wisdom not only to recognize the mark of the beast, but to be those that are marked by our Father in heaven. And to believe him for the provision and the miracles in these coming days, in this coming trouble. So, the Antichrist. Sounds like he's going to do a lot of scary stuff. And he is. He's going to do some very troubling things. That's why it's called the big trouble, the great tribulation. And I've wrestled in my own heart about this man because I've thought, God, if we're your church and we're your people and we have the Holy Spirit, why is there all of this power and authority that Satan is going to have? And how are we going to be able to stand against him? Who can make war with the beast? There will be military campaigns against this man that will fail. But then I remembered Moses. As he performed his first few miracles, Pharaoh's magicians were able to do exactly what they did. But by that third plague, Satan's own sorcerers and false prophets were saying, this is the finger of God. And the power of God over the work of Satan was made known to everybody. And friends, that's what these seal, trumpet, and bold judgments are. They are a demonstration that God is sovereign, that God is more powerful than the evil one. And we will overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives to the death.
Some will go to prison. Some will die. Persevere. Your reward is great. Now, I made a bit of a reference last week that I wish I had more time and actually even just more knowledge to talk to you about tonight. But neither do I have. <laughs> and, but I do want to um, recommend a couple of resources to you. Joel Richardson has made a very convincing argument that the Antichrist will be the coming Muslim Messiah. The Mahdi is what they call him. And there are some very interesting and alarming similarities between this Mahdi and between the Antichrist. Very alarming. Very interesting. And so I would recommend this book for you to check that out and see what you think about it. It's called The Mideast Beast. And there's, there's another book. Um, called the Islamic Antichrist, and um, and I'm reading that one now as well. Very interesting, very compelling, um, but I thought I would recommend a resource to you. I, I am not going to go through a breakdown of his argument today, again, for two reasons. A, I don't have time, and B, really, I need to go more into this and pray more into it, and you'll probably have questions for me that I'm just not currently equipped to answer. So <laughs> thought I wouldn't go there. But um, there's also a good book called A Christian's Pocket Guide to Islam by Patrick Sukdeo. A Christian's Pocket Guide to Islam by Patrick Sukdeo. And, um, and he just gives kind of an overview of what Islam believes, including their eschatology. He's, he's a believer. Um, so two resources that might interest you. Um, but the reason I think that's so important is because we are, are very much being faced with Islam all around us. And there are some very moderate expressions of it that we see. And there are some very alarming expressions of it that we see. And regardless, we have neighbors that need Jesus who are Muslim. And I think these two resources will help you understand them a bit better, um, and then and to pray for them and to know where they're coming from. So those resources are for you. So the Antichrist is gaining the worship of the nations. Now, he's not going to do this in a vacuum. He's not going to march on the scene one day with little to no influence or notoriety and convince millions and billions of people to worship him in one day. Because the Antichrist, or Satan, Satan knows that it's too big of a step for even someone that is a moderate Christian or Muslim or Jew or, or, or someone of another faith background. He knows that it's too big of a step for them to come from that place all the way over here to reject their religious heritage and worship Satan. So, he's creating a middle step. It's called the harlot Babylon religion. They probably won't call it that. 
Matthew was right. That's exactly what they called it. (laughs) Probably not going to call it that. Um, There will be a worldwide harlot religion that will promote tolerance, that will promote religious unity, also known as pluralism, and very gray areas in terms of immorality and righteousness. It will be a religion of tolerance without absolutes that teaches that all religions lead to God and to salvation. Now, friends, we're already seeing an emergence of this and actually have been for a long time. But it's going to boil quick. And friends, I am already seeing on a university campus, statistically speaking, 70 to 80% of people that grew up in the church turn away within their first year of college. That's pretty alarming. This emerging movement will include both religious and economic networks. And these are both described in Revelation 17 and 18. It will have a base, an actual rebuilt city, and literal geographical Babylon. Babylon is located in Iraq, in Iraq, a bit south, about 50 miles south of Baghdad. And just a little tidbit of interesting information is that Saddam Hussein was actually pouring in money to start rebuilding this city and reestablishing it and hanging up big pictures of him as the modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Um, And an interesting thing to note about Nebuchadnezzar and about Babylon in his day, Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon that destroyed the temple and that led the Jews into exile in, um, in the 6th century, 587 B.C. The city, and, is, and, is, and in the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends are taken into Babylon. And many different religious expressions were happening in Babylon during that time. But on one day, a statue goes up. And a symphony plays, and everyone is required by law to bow down to the statue or be thrown into a furnace. Friends, the enemy knows that this religious pluralist, this, this, this coming together of, of all religions is, is, a, is, is, is paving the way for him to take the main stage. And I'm not saying we don't value and we don't honor people from other religions. I'm not saying we go and protest the Buddhist place down the road. I'm saying that we hold to the gospel truth and not compromise on it. When people join this harlot religion, their conscience is going to become greatly defiled. Why? Because they are turning away from the commandments of Jesus. And they are turning away from Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
and they are accepting many different lords and saviors and many different ways to God. And they are opening themselves up to delusion that will make it much easier for them to fall under the deception of the Antichrist. This voluntary harlot religion will be completely voluntary. People can join it, but it will be replaced by a very violent, involuntary Antichrist worship system in one day. And people will be forced to worship Satan. It will be a counterfeit justice movement. It will feed the poor. It will offer all types of humanitarian service projects across the earth. Why? It's good for business. Friends, Jesus wants us to take care of those that are hurting and those that are sick and those that are suffering. But friends, do not be deceived. What people need, they need practical help, but they need spiritual gospel truth as well. (laughs) And just because something is doing beneficiary works, do not be deceived. And I do believe there are many, many well-meaning, sincere people that are involved in these humanitarian projects that are not Christian. But I'm telling you, do not be deceived. Because the enemy wants to use good works in order to blind the minds of the people to his true motives and his true intentions. Some of the primary prophetic voices to this movement are on TV, in movies that we love, talk show radio hosts. Some are in pulpits. And it grieves me greatly. Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 that the Spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. People will turn their ears away from the truth and give themselves to demonic teaching. Why? Because they take pleasure in unrighteousness. And they do not receive the love of the truth. Revelation 17. Let's go ahead and turn there. Revelation 17 and 18 are one of the most significant end-time prophecies because it gives us insight into Satan's end-time strategy to deceive the nations. John gives us details about the emergence and the destruction of this harlot religion. She will kill the saints, many saints, but ultimately we overcome. Revelation 17. We're just going to read through a few of these verses and get a picture of what's going on here. Revelation 17, 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits 
on many waters. So John sees a vision of a woman, a prostitute, a great prostitute, a prominent prostitute that sits on many waters. What could this mean? Well, the book of Revelation tells us. Verse 15, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the waters represent the peoples of the earth from every tribe, tongue. Verse 18, the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So this woman is a great city, and it will rule over the kings of the earth. Verse 5 says it's Babylon the great. Chapter 18 proclaims, in chapter 19, proclaim the fall of Babylon. This city, this woman is Babylon. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So many kings of the earth are going to be drunk. They're going to be intoxicated with her seductive promises to benefit their nations. She will hold a golden cup in her hand that will appear to have benevolence to it but it will be full of abomination and immorality. And when people drink this cup, they are drinking delusion. And they are drinking spiritual death. They will embrace her deceptive uh, theology of tolerance. Verse four. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet She's, she's regal. This city is going to be powerful and prominent. Having adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, she, this will be the most wealthy religious economic network that we've seen. Now, I believe the Lord's going to start giving the saints and entrusting them with a lot of money. That there will be a transfer of wealth in the days to come. That for some of you, it's maybe already started happening. But this city will be so wealthy and so beautiful and so magnificent that people will align with it in order to eat and drink of, of, its, of its financial prosperity. A golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. This city, John, when he sees it, he marvels at this city. And there's something connected with this city all the way back to Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we saw people from all across the earth come and build a great tower, the Tower of Babel. I met a number of folks that read that passage and say, what's going on here? (laughs) 
They build a tower. God comes down, scrambles their languages, and all of their works are just null and void after that. What was happening here was a bit more intense. In the Middle East, during that time, ancient Mesopotamia, which is where Babel is, that whole region, there were a number of idol worship centers called ziggurats. And that's what this thing was very, if, if, if it was not one of those things, very similar to one of those things. Um, my Hebrew Bible teacher in college convinced this thing is a ziggurat. <laughs> and so what was happening at this Tower of Babel is that men were coming together in unity in an outright defiance against God and creating a gateway to the demonic realm. These towers were built to contact heaven, to contact the divine. And friends, I believe that a tower is about to be built that Revelation says will be the home of every single demon, every unclean spirit. It will, this city will be a gateway for the kingdom of darkness to spread across the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. She will kill. Because we will stand for the testimony of Jesus. Friends, do not be deceived. Now, the book of Revelation continues to give us insight in verse 16 to her relationship with the Antichrist. John sees that this woman is riding on the back of this beast that we talked about last week. Seven heads, ten horns. That she's riding on this beast, so she has a partnership and a relationship with the Antichrist and, 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 and his empire. But in one day, these kings, these ten kings that are aligned with the Antichrist will burn the city down. They will burn it with fire. The Antichrist is using this city and the, and the religious and economic network that will be created from this city all throughout the, the, um, the nations of the earth. He's using it for his own benefit and gain, but in one day he's going to completely eliminate it. And not only will this city go down, but this religious tolerance will go down, and it will be a violent, intolerant religion that is set up in its place. But Jesus will come, and he will kill the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. We're about to see the most intense, demonic, false prophetic movement come into the earth. But we are also about to see the most spirit-empowered, Jesus-loving, signs and wonders performing, true prophetic church that will stand against the kingdom of darkness. 
a sharp two-edged sword in their mouth, the high praises of God in their mouth, a sharp two-edged sword in their hands. They will execute judgment on the nation. This honor have all the saints. Satan is going down by the breath of your mouth and the brightness of his coming. And the armies in heaven will ride with him. So, God is calling us to be a faithful witness in this hour. God is calling us to rid our hearts of all compromise. God is calling us to be lovers of the truth, to live it, to digest it, to grow an understanding of it, and to proclaim it unto death. And we will overcome. Amen. A few questions. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for the true spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. And God, we thank you that your grace is empowering us to stand against the evil one. I pray now, God, that you would come and touch the heart of every person in this room. And Lord, we open our hearts to you and we say, God, come and search us and know us. Lord, remove everything that hinders love. Remove everything that hinders love. And Father, we ask that you would give us boldness to proclaim your word. That signs and wonders would be done through the name of your servant, Jesus. And God, I ask for our hearts to be filled with hope. That Lord, though the days ahead are trouble. That, God, you are coming with a great outpouring of the Spirit like we've never seen before. And, God, we thank you for that. And we ask for it. We pray for it to hit this house. I ask for a move of God to come and touch Storehouse Church, God. To come and touch the Dallas House of Prayer. That, Lord, worship and prayer would ascend out of this place. That would bring heaven across this entire region. That, God, the heart of your church in this city would be stirred into love and faithfulness to Jesus. And that we, Lord, we not only ask for the harvest, but we pray for laborers. And we ask that you would use us in our weakness to love and to bring truth, to bring Jesus to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few questions. It's a bit late. We have another microphone or one of these we can turn on. Okay. Okay. You know, it says not to take the mark of the beast, elsewise you won't be able to buy or sell, but later on it says that we'll buy and sell until the end. So does that suggest that there's some sort of alternate system that God may provide? Which verse are you referring to where it says we'll buy or sell to the end? Okay, okay. Um, There is no verse that I know of that says that we will continue buying or selling to the end. Okay. By the way, we have donuts. So if you want to ask a question, you get a donut. 
Do I get a donut? <laughs> really? <laughs> no, there's like seven boxes mm-hmm. out there. It's, they're awesome. I've been out there eating. I'm having like a sugar high right now. So, Okay, sorry. Questions? Oh. Okay, hold on. Yeah, but this is for video. Um, so the big thing, be not deceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be like something that would jump out? Like they're not preaching Jesus. I mean, that'd be a good start. I mean, what would be like the new the religions coming in that would just be like, bam, that's no bueno. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Uh, I, in our, our, our religious humanistic society, I will call it, so a lot of different religions have been trying to come together to do humanitarian aid things together, which is people need help. But the deception is really centered around who Jesus is. Because the main things that really disturb humanists <laughs> and most people that aren't Christian, hopefully not Christians, um, maybe a few, but are his deity and therefore his right to establish absolute standards. Um, The fact that he's the only way to salvation and that he um, has the authority and the right to judge sin both now and eternity. Just real key basic truths about the person, the nature of Jesus Christ. Um, And good things may be done in other names, but that doesn't mean we buy in to what they're teaching and what they're preaching. Now, in Matthew 24, it's very interesting, and even in 2 Thessalonians 2, that this deception seems to be, and definitely is in 2 Thessalonians, in the context of people saying, Jesus is over here. Jesus appeared in this room over here. Um, take that how you will. But, but the day of the Lord, when I say Jesus appearing, I don't mean a visitation or a vision. Like, don't get someone, people have had actual visitations and visions of Jesus. Um, number of Muslims are getting saved across the world because of dreams and personal visitations of Jesus. But, but if someone, the return of God, the return of Jesus will be seen by everybody across the earth. Oh my gosh, those are... No, <laughs> that's like <laughs> you want to ask a question. Oh, my Lanta. Okay, Amory. Okay, I don't know if this is a fair question, but do you feel like the seals have already started? That is a good question. I do not. I do not. <laughs> um. Do I believe that the seals have already started? Um, there, there are uh, a number of people who, who would say that they are happening. They've been, they've unfolded progressively over time. Um, some take a very, it's called a preterist view that that the that the seals, trumpets, and bowls have all everything's already happened. Um, some take them very symbolically, and and um, I take them literally, and I take them all from a future standpoint. And the main reason I do is because. I've, I've, I've heard a few guys talk about why they believe the seals have already happened, and some of it has to do with the fact that Matthew 24 really covers a lot of the same things. Um, famines, um, wars, rumors of wars, things like that. 
Um, however, in the seals, in the fourth seal judgment, one-fourth of the earth is killed. And some have taught that that is cumulative over history. I just do not believe there's an accurate way to document that. And I believe there's a reason that we had a number listed in the book of Revelation. And I also think of it in terms of, uh, of uh, the, the ten plagues. When the ten plagues were released, Moses and the people of Israel and Egypt were all very aware of which plague was happening at what time. God said, plague number one. <laughs> and Moses released it. And it happened then. Plague number two. And it happened. So I believe it will um, be similar with the seal judgment symbol, or the seal trumpet symbols. Okay, hold on. Oh, oh my. Did y'all bring these for tonight? or is this? No, somebody oh. has a donut shop called Donut Palace. Y'all oh should goodness. go, and they gave us seven. Um, it's Young Son. Thank you, Young Son. Um, well, mine's kind of a two-part question, but um, do we know what kind of where Babylon stands today? Because I have also, you know, thought about that as well. As far as uh, how many years would it take Babylon to actually become the city that it that is talking about in the Book of Revelation? Where does it stand now? Mm-hmm. And that may give us some some timetable of what we're looking at before this is going to take place. Right, right. Well, as of now, um, physical geographical Babylon is located in in Iraq, um, about fifty miles south of Baghdad. Um, it is not inhabited. Now, there were some attempts under Saddam Hussein to start restoring it. There have been some restoration of, of a famous Ishtar gate um, that was a temple to Ishtar as, as a sort of tourist attraction. Um, a lot of that funding did not pan out. And, um, and actually, a number of leaders throughout history have tried to rebuild. Alexander the Great tried to rebuild Babylon in his day and died shortly thereafter. So... <laughs> um, how long it takes, that's really more of a question for people that have built cities. Um, but really, um, what, what's interesting to me is with, with Dubai, I mean, I don't, maybe this is just me and my little Mesquite, Texas world. Um, I didn't know anybody, including myself, that even heard of Dubai until that Burj Khalif went up. And as soon as that thing went up, it is like there are signs in Mesquite, Texas, like vacation in Dubai. I'm like, Dubai. (laughs) It was quick. Um, So I don't know how much time it's going to take. I think what is really more of a timing indicator um, is the gospel going out to every single nation. Um, And and top missiologists are um, saying and agreeing that it can happen within the next 15 to um, 25 years. There's one over here, Tracy. Oh, do you have one? Question there? Question. So you just want a donut. (laughs) You've got to ask the question to get a donut. (laughs) Okay. It's been a while since I've read Revelation. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but 
Revelation if I recall Promise. correctly, there's a point where like the eagle protects Israel, right? Does that mean that we'll kind of be grouped with Israel and not fall under the reign of the Antichrist? Okay, this is a good question. She's you're referring uh, she's referring to Revelation 12. There's the woman that is um, standing on the moon, clothed with the sun. She has a crown of 12 stars, and she's and the dragon starts coming after this woman, and he starts shooting all this water out of his mouth. Um, and it says the earth opens up and swallows up those waters, and then the woman with the wings of a great eagle is is taken into into um, a refuge for three and a half years. Now, there are different ideas on how to interpret that. I have heard some people say that that is a representation of America protecting Israel. I can't give you any solid ground for that. Um, What I think the ultimate message of that passage is, is that um, people will be protected, that there will be a remnant protected. When God led the people uh, of, of Israel out of Egypt, it says in the Torah that in the, in, in, um, I don't remember if it's Leviticus or Numbers, but that I led you out of Egypt with the wings of a great eagle. And so it's a very figurative sense there, and, and I really think that's what's happening in Revelation, um, is, is God is saying there's, there, there's going to be some protection here. Good question. No, don't ask. <laughs> How about carrots? <laughs> okay, Matthew, I knew this week was going to come and you were going to have to talk about these. And they're, they're heavy things for our hearts to hear. Mm-hmm. And it's very sobering hearing yeah. them. Right. So can you just speak to us as those of us that are, and I mean all of us, that are just running after the Lord right now. And you hear this message and it's just so, oh, you know. Alarming. <laughs> Alarming, yeah. I mean, you know that. And some are hearing it for the first time. Some right. have heard it. This is my fourth time to hear it from you at least. And it still just hits me. Yeah. And it just helps me. I, if you could just address us of okay. what we could be doing now, where our hope is at. Yes. Just the encouragement. Yes. <laughs> to leave with. Very so good that we question. sleep tonight. Yes. Very good question. <laughs> good news. <laughs> That is a wonderful question, and this is really exactly the reason I'm encouraging everyone to read Revelation cover to cover. We obviously don't have time to cover it cover to cover, well, we kind of did last week, Um, but it actually ends with really good news, (laughs) that there is a city from heaven coming down, and the tabernacle of God will be with men. Now, how do we live practically in light of this troubling news we've heard? It's really the simple basic, main, and plain. You know, some folks are real big on encouraging a certain amount of food storage, water storage, and honestly, I don't, me personally, I don't think that that's bad advice. (laughs) Um, In the days of Joseph, Joseph knew that a famine was coming, and he started storing up natural resources. So I would would encourage you to dialogue with the Lord about that. I mean, I'm at Galleria Mall, and there is a big sign at the Galleria that says, a storm is coming, like, prepare.gov, you know? I was like, oh, my gosh, this, like, the world knows that trouble is coming. Um, but you can store up all the food and water you want, but if your heart is not stored up the right things, you will fall. Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, 
walking out those beatitudes while pursuing a hundredfold obedience to Jesus. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount saying, anyone who hears these teachings of mine and does them, that's the key, do, hear, do, be doers of the word, he is like a man who built his house on a solid foundation. And when the winds came and the storms came, his house stood. But those that hear the practical teachings and commands of Jesus and do not do them are like a house with no foundation. And when this storm hits, if that's you, you will fall. So my encouragement to you is main, plain, follow Jesus, give yourself to loving God, developing a lifestyle of prayer, of fasting, of giving in secret, all of these in secret, um, and, 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 and pursuing love, pursuing loving God, pursuing loving people, and, and, and you will be strong in these days. Can you speak mm-hmm. to um, the whole Goshen principle? Yes. Um, and also just following, they, they were very obedient in putting the blood with the lentils around the doorpost. Yes, very good. Yes, there is um, this idea called the Goshen principle. And, and, and it comes from the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, as the ten plagues, the, the ten judgments, if you will, were being released on, the, on Pharaoh's empire, the, the people of Israel were staying in the land of Goshen. And it's the, like Plano. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> um, and it was a land called Goshen. And um, when the light, when darkness was covering the, the, uh, the Egyptian empire during the judgments, light was still shining in the land of Goshen. When all the cattle of the, of the Egyptian empire were dying, the cattle were alive in Goshen. And when the firstborn were killed in Egypt, the Israelites were instructed to put the blood of the lamb over their doorposts and that that death passed over them. Um, the blood of Jesus <laughs> is a protection in these times. And Revelation 7 talks about this seal coming on the foreheads of the people of God um, and a great harvest coming as a result. Um, But I would, I don't know if you want to add more to that. Um, Well, I really, um, that's where I camp out because what's happening during the time of trouble is that there's a great transition and we are transitioning into another um, transition. time and age and that's really what it is so whenever if you look in the bible he gives us a history lesson of transitions and how he's guarded and protected his people during the that time because every single time it was a time of trouble for the people in the land but for god's people he saved them in order that they then can prosper and, and he's going to keep us around because he's looking for the harvest and he's looking for the harvesters. And so we are the light and the people of light and so that we can um, bring them into the kingdom. That's, yeah. that's my take on it. No, that's great. Joel chapter 2, is it, it, the book of Joel is talking about 
locust invasions and military invasions and just all types of trouble happening and all these nations coming up against Israel and lots of negative things. But it says, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and they'll prophesy and that signs and wonders will be done on earth and in heaven. And Yeah, and he refers to us as war horses. And, and, and so he really refers to his people as being so strong that there's nothing. You've seen the movie War Horse. That, what was it called? It was called War Horse, wasn't it, recently? And, I mean, there was nothing that could hold this horse back, you know, just the heart in this horse and its ability to, to be able to overcome every obstacle and never give up. Um, and that's who we're going to be. God's coming back for a pure and spotless bride who's courageous. Okay. Um, I got a word of encouragement to go with that for us here, especially for us in DFW that are called to this city. And I was going to share it earlier, but I felt like now's the time. So I I was in my house, uh, this was about a week ago, and I just, every time I tried to leave, I couldn't leave. It's like something was like blocking me. I, I couldn't find my keys or this or that. And it's like, Lord, are you trying to speak to me? He said, yes, I'm trying to speak to you. So I just sat down and said, okay, what are you saying? And so about, it took about 30 minutes, but finally he said, he said, I have chosen DFW. He's talking about our Metroplex, our city. And when he said it, I was like, it sounds like when you said I've chosen Israel. In other words, there was a, this is a definite uh, plan of God here. And I, and then he said, I choose you and you can choose me if you desire. And as this was going on, I, I could see the spirit of the Lord hovering above our metroplex. I could just feel it in my spirit. And so um, then he says, I'm revealing myself to you as DFW. Choose to be DFW with me. So now he's really setting me up. I'm like, what? You know, I'm, it's like this is this kind of riddle or something. And then he said, think of, think of this as an acronym. In other words, I want you to ask me what I'm thinking about DFW. And he said, he gave me three acronyms for DFW. He said the first one was Dauntless Free Whirlwind. The second one was Dramatic Waterfalls. And the third one was Dazzling Flames Within. So it was like he's saying this is what his plan is, this is what his heart is for our metro- Metroplex. And Rick Joyner said years yeah. ago this is a city of refuge, yeah. which is a Goshen yeah. city. Yeah. So we're, we're part of the plan. We're part of the solution and, mm-hmm. and even our city. So be encouraged to become these things. That's good. That's good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think we keep giving ourselves to a place of worshiping God, of creating this atmosphere of his presence in our city. Prayer and worship. Uh And and Chad, I appreciate that encouragement. Um, I do want to offer a couple more questions, and I ask that we do leave them for questions for the purpose of this, but thank you for your encouragement. Okay, I'm coming. question or not but I just wanted to say I felt like that the last year the Mm -hmm. Lord has been telling me to pray for my family Mm -hmm. for the land of Goshen Mm. that all they would be in the land of Goshen so maybe we could do that I mean that's just an encouragement to go ahead and pray for your family and your friends to be in the land of Goshen I don't think that's a certain place but it's just being in Christ 
the right being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we definitely want to be praying. That the, we just came from Georgia, and we had a prophetic word when we came out here that we were coming into one of the greatest revivals in the nation. Come on, that deserves a donut. Thank you. Heather, question? Um, about the, the, the fatal wound. Yes. Um, is it possible that, um, that this man who receives the fatal wound is, um, only becomes the Antichrist? Like, so he's just a man who's very, I don't know, maybe possessed or something beforehand, and then he gets this fatal wound, and then that's when, like, Satan himself enters his body to revive, so-called revive him, and then he's the Antichrist right after that? Like, is that possible? I think that's possible. Um, There was uh, a story, I think, in the documentary Father of Lights um, that talks about, and I don't want to go into the pretty graphic details, or or I think it was the one before Father of Lights, um, Furious Love, um, where this pagan witch doctor would actually go and kill himself and revive three days later. And I believe that like more power was connected to it. Um, so there, there was a sense of false empowering through uh, a, a sort of demonic death. So is that when he becomes the antichrist? Um, I'm not sure. Now, when he revives, people start saying, who is like the beast? And who can make war against him? And so it will motivate many people to worship him. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my cue. Um, uh, so this might make me sound dumb. Is there, like, really scripture that says for sure, like, the Antichrist will actually be a man and not just an organization or a government? Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's a good question. In Second Thessalonians 2... Paul says the great falling the things that had to come first are the great falling away and the man of sin and that he will set himself up in the temple of God and proclaim to be God and often in just prophetic scriptures is that and Daniel saw a number of beasts that represented different empires as well and um, and different heads on these beasts and not only did they often represent the empire, but also the king that was the head of them. Um, so, f- for example, one of the beasts in Daniel um, has four heads. And there were, in the Greek empire, after Alexander the Great, there were four major rulers that ruled the Greek empire after Alexander the Great died. So, some people have uh, attributed that those four kings to, to him, so... Really? (laughs) Go, Stephanie. I didn't say that out loud. Um, Is it just people's theory, or is there something in the Bible that talks about him not being just fully man, but, like, being supernatural? I mean, like, I've heard some people talk about him being, like, half human, half demon, or whatever. So it the question is is the antichrist there's a there's a theory that you've heard about him being 
like a, a demon human hybrid or fully God, fully demon or fully God, fully, fully Is he demon, an alien? Man. Answer that <laughs> Is question. He an alien? Everybody here wants to ask it, but nobody will. <laughs> no, um, no, um, there is, there are different scriptures that I've heard folks pull from that could seem to suggest that, um, is there anything that is a hard line scriptural proof for that? I, I haven't found one. Um, now, in Genesis 3, um, God is talking about the seed of woman, and who is a literal man, Jesus, and the seed of the serpent. Um, so some have taken that verse to suggest that this, uh, this man will have some kind of demonic actual part of his DNA hybrid. Um, and in, in the days of Noah, there were fallen angels that came down to mate with women and they produced these human demon hybrids, um, uh, called the Nephilim. Jesus did say it would be in the days as, as in the days of Noah. So it is possible that we will see some demon human hybrids. Now, now I believe that the trumpets, um, I know, I know, um, there's a flood coming, they're going to kill them all, <laughs> we'll be in an ark, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, these are some scriptures that people have used to support that theory, is there a hard line evidence, I don't think so, I do believe, however, there will be demons physically manifested on the earth that people can see, hear, feel. Um, the, the trumpet judgments talk about these um, demonic locusts coming up from the pit that they sting people, and he describes them physically. Um, um, and, and then 200 million demonic horsemen that, uh, that breathe out fire, smoke, and brimstone. So I think that we'll actually see these guys. <laughs> well, um, is this on? Okay. Um, I appreciate your teaching. I love the fact that we're going to be here during these times. That's very encouraging to me because although there's going to be a lot of demonic activity, there's going to be a lot of God, and it's going to be so exciting. So I'm encouraged by this. Um, My question is, I don't know, are you familiar with Irving Baxter? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, The Four Horsemen? Okay. He's thinking that... um, the red one is communism. The black one is um, capitalism. Um, the white one is the Roman Catholic Church. And then the pale horse, in the Greek, it actually said chlora, which is green. And mm-hmm. he believes that that horse represents Islam because Islam's main color is green. Mm-hmm. What is your view on that? I don't agree. <laughs> just, uh, just in short. Um, I think it's hard to make a hardline call on that. Um, I don't knock him for believing that. Um, I think all of those things that he's interpreted, we've seen those things come into the earth. To, to say something is, is capitalism and to attribute famine and food shortage to capitalism, I think, is a really broad statement with very little um, evidential support. Okay, coming. Sorry, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll do two Hands more. I didn't see your hand. 
So I, um, okay, so the prophets that breathe out fire and everything. So isn't it like Elijah and then somebody else or something like that? The the good guys, the good prophets. The good prophets. The good prophets. Thank it, you. Is this the, the whole witnesses. of your question or is there more at the end of no, it? No, no, no. So the two <laughs> witnesses, I forget, they, they call him like Elijah and something else. And then Enoch. And so, but John was also called Elijah too. So it, obviously, sorry, this sounds really intelligent. But in um, Left Behind, they had some old random guy who was, you know, a biblical figure who came back. And obviously I base all of my eschatology off of Left Behind. <laughs> and so, um, but obviously John was a person that was just born. What would you say would that it's going to be like all of a sudden the, or I don't know enough about whether it'll be a Elijah actually coming back or whether it's actually just somebody becoming a witness. Okay, so basically the is the identity of these two witnesses. Um, there is nothing in Scripture that clearly identifies who these men are. Um, there are folks that, I don't even know if educated is the right word, because it's just, it's really, it's just so unclear, it's hard to pin a, even a possible name on these guys. Some say it's Moses and Elijah. Some say it's Elijah and Enoch. Um, there is a Scripture in Malachi that says that Elijah will come and he will, and um, before the return of the Lord, and, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I strike the land with a curse. Now, we saw um, a, at least a partial fulfillment of that um, through John the Baptist. It said he came in the spirit of Elijah. Um, and Jesus said he was Elijah who is to come. So my Greek scholar friends can give more insight onto that. But so I'm just kind of telling you things that people have conjectured to say, okay, it could be actual Elijah, it could be John the Baptist, it could be da-da-da. But really, as far as from a scriptural standpoint, um, these are really just guesses. Um, so we don't know. Um, I will not be surprised to see actually literally Elijah come back. Um, I, I think he will. I can't, I have one scripture verse for that, <laughs> not a lot of other ones. Um, I could be wrong, but um, I don't even, he may or may not be one of the two witnesses. Last one. These are good questions. Well, I mean, this just kind of goes with that. I, I heard that it was Elijah and Enoch because they are the two that never died. Is that right? Mm -hmm. so. That That's... That's why people have, that. some have thought that it's them. Um, these prophets will die. Um, so then, yeah. They'll get they killed. Back, you know? um, they'll come back <laughs> in front of everybody. <laughs> they'll die in front of everybody and come back in front of everybody. Um, but even that, it's, it's really still just a guess. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's really no more than a guess. Okay. Well, these were great questions. Thank you for your patience. Y'all did 30 minutes questions. Yeah, y'all did great. <laughs> Um, come back next week. We'll talk about the good news <laughs> of the end times and the actual return of Jesus um, and not just the events around it in the millennial kingdom. But uh, Revelation Fridays, crack open Revelation tomorrow. Read it through cover to cover. Join me in it for the next few weeks and watch out for those videos.
Have a good day.